Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week we will be looking at scriptures from the week of Second Epiphany, or more technically, the second week after the Epiphany. The Epiphany is a feast day of the church on January the 6th, and on that feast day we celebrate the coming of the Magi. This is Matthew chapter 2 coming of the Magi to come and lay their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, at the feet of Jesus, the newborn king. Now, Epiphany has several weeks to it, with the last Sunday being called the last Sunday after the Epiphany. Then we begin Lent with Ash Wednesday that week, and then we have five weeks of Lent. So, In our liturgical calendar, which begins in Advent, we have four weeks of Advent, a couple of weeks of Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. And then we have Epiphany, where Christ is going to show himself or be shown to the Gentiles. So on January the 6th, you have the coming of the Magi, the men from the East, and they are going to offer gifts to Christ and the gospel is going to be opened up to the Gentiles. On the first epiphany, we are celebrating the baptism of Jesus so that Jesus' ministry begins. And he is going to now show himself to us. And he's going to have a ministry of sharing the gospel, his message from the Father with us. And of course, the prayer is that we will respond to that gospel and believe and follow him. Now, in our daily lectionary reading, you will see the scriptures listed from Sunday to Saturday for the week of Second Epiphany. We will be looking at the book of Genesis, the book of Hebrews, and the book of John. Now, as I've said many times before, if you would like to study and read the Psalms, you may do so also. And those Psalms are broken into morning prayer, and evening prayer psalms. For those that read the daily office and read morning prayer and evening prayer. We'll be concentrating on Genesis in the Old Testament, the fantastic opening book of the Bible. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Some people think that Paul did it and then we have other names. The author of Hebrews does not identify himself. But it's an extraordinary book that has great uh, teaching from the Jewish point of view. And it's looking back at how Christ is fulfillment of the Old Testament. So it presumes that the reader knows the Old Testament very well. And of course, the resurrection of Jesus has happened. And now the author is reflecting on what Christ means to us as a result of his death and resurrection. And then finally, the great book of John, the fourth gospel, and we will be looking today at chapters two through chapter four. So let's begin with Genesis, Genesis chapter seven. Now in Genesis chapter seven, we are with Noah, and the ark is going to be built because God is going to destroy the world. Why is God going to destroy the world? Because the world is very, very wicked but he's not going to destroy everyone. He's going to preserve Noah and his family, 
and he's going to preserve the animals, and they are going to be taken care of uh, in such a way as when the flood waters recede, they are going to propagate the earth and um, we'll begin again. In Genesis chapter 7, he gives him instructions about building the ark. In Genesis chapter 8, we have at the end of 724, the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. 150 days. But God remembered 8 1, Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain stopped falling from the sky. The waters steadily receded from the earth. So finally, the rain stops, the waters go down, and Noah now positions himself in chapter 8 so that he can finally dock the boat, if you will, get out of the water. Verse 21, chapter 8. Never again will I curse the ground because of man. This is what God is saying. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So God makes a covenant with Noah in chapter 9. Very important chapter in the Bible. Chapter 9. He blesses Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. He says in verse 7, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And then he gives him directions. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of the flood, verse 11. Never again will there be a flood to destroy all the earth. Here's the sign. Remember the sign? All of you know the sign. The sign's the rainbow in the sky. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Verse 16 of chapter 9. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Has there been a flood to destroy the land? No. God kept his promise and has kept it all these years. Now, Noah had three sons, and from them came all the people who were scattered over the earth. So they are going to repopulate. In chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel. Now, that's a very important text. The whole world had one language and a common speech. Now what happened? Sadly, they built a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves, verse 4 of chapter 11, and not be scattered over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. And he confused the language. They stopped building the city. This is why it is called Babel, verse 9, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and it scattered them over the face of the earth. So everyone was scattered. And so that one language in defying God and separating themselves from God said, nope, that's not going to happen. So he spreads them out, and now they speak different languages. Chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, and the beginning of chapter 12, we have the solution to the problem, the call of Abram. The call of Abram. Very famous chapter, chapter 12. He says to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land that I will show you. So this is how God is going to restore man to himself. 
by calling the people of Israel to him. And out of the people of Israel will be the Messiah who is going to save them from their sins. We just celebrated that for Christmas. I will make you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So in subsequent weeks, we're going to be looking at the exploits and the journey of Abram, whose name is going to be eventually changed to Abraham, and how God is going to use him to deal with man's sin and man's need for a Savior. So enjoy these very important chapters in Genesis. All right, let's go to Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is not an easy book, as I said last week. It's not an easy book. Read it. Read it slowly. You might have a Bible that has study notes at the bottom of the page. And what you want to get out of it is the importance of Christ and how much better he is than all the Jewish offerings and how he is the one to whom God would use to save us from our sins. He is the Messiah. He is the one that God has called. Chapter 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That's a great line. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have the one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. In several places in Hebrews it says Jesus did not sin. That's very important. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the author is imploring us to go to Christ because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Christ has been risen from the dead. Christ has saved us. Christ is the Messiah. He is our Savior, our Lord. We are to go to him. Those, those words of at the end of chapter 4 are very, very nice. In chapter 5, he continues to share more about sacrifices and gifts and quoting, uh, as you'll probably guess, quoting lots of Old Testament scriptures, the order of Melchizedek, which we see in um, Genesis. He says in verse, um, he says in verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, you have to go back and study who Melchizedek is in Genesis to appreciate fully that comment, that, that text, that truth. The key I want you to get this day is he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Christ is the one through whom God has sent in order to save us, as I said repeatedly uh, today, to save us from our sins. In chapter 6, we need to leave in chapter 6, verse 1, the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And so maturity is going to be defined in Hebrews as following Christ and giving ourselves to Christ and being in Christ. Okay? We continue on in chapter 7 with Melchizedek again. This Melchizedek, verse 1, was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. Now, there's a mystery about who Melchizedek was. Not all scholars agree about who he was. But he was an extraordinary person. He met Abraham 
returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. His name means king of righteousness, king of Salem, which means king of peace. Like the son of God, he remains a priest forever. And so Abraham had this extraordinary relationship, if you will, or encounter with him in which he gave him a tithe. You've heard of that word of what he owned. So Jesus, it says at the end, uh, in the middle and the end of uh, chapter seven is like Melchizedek. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Verse 23, there were many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. So the whole idea about priesthood is a very important concept in Hebrews. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede with him. Not only has Christ died for our sins, interceded for us, is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Messiah, the Lord of history, the Son of God, the Son of Man. In the Jewish practices that are set up in the Old Testament, Jesus fulfills them. He sacrificed their sins once for all when he offered himself the second half of verse 27 of chapter 7. So we don't have to have blood and goats. We don't have to have an annual sacrifice anymore. Jesus took care of it forever when he offers himself. And verse 28 is fabulous. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which comes after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. So the son is the perfect high priest and he fulfills the obligations of God perfectly once and for all and eternally. So we don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over again. This is the immense value of Jesus Christ. Enjoy your reading in Hebrews. Read slowly. Don't be discouraged by sometimes the difficulty of it. Now, speaking of the lack of difficulty and the profundity of the scriptures, John is amazing. And we continue our work with John. In John 2.23 to 3.15, we have the teaching from Nicodemus in chapter 3 where we have the famous teaching regarding being born again. Jesus says, verse 5, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Wow, that's a pretty significant teaching. I can't enter the kingdom of God unless I'm born of water and the spirit. What does that mean? You must be born again, verse 7. You must be born again. How can this be? Nicodemus says in verse 8, 9. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things? Now, if you want it simply and clearly, the second half, or the verse 15, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Everyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. And of course, in the famous 316, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not have perished but have eternal life. Where is eternal life located? In the son. Why? Because of what he has done for us. This is the Hebrew text. Why did Jesus need to do that? Go back to Genesis. In chapter 3, and the, and, and the separation with Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin against God. And then go to the readings about Noah, which we spoke about in the beginning of this program, when we talked about the sin of man in the flood. 
And then God begins again with Abram in chapter 12. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, verse 18, is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned all, already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So one of the great things about the daily lectionary is that you get to read the past, the present of Jesus, and then the future. So the future is going to be the, the uh, epistle readings. The present, if you will, is going to be the gospel readings, and the past is going to be the Old Testament readings, and what you want to see is how the three of them come together. Chapter 3, verses 22 to 36, this is John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. All right? John, what do you say? Well, remember, John's six months older than Jesus. He's his cousin. He baptizes Jesus. Remember, that's first epiphany. He says in verse 27, a man can receive only what is given from heaven. He said, he must become greater, I must become less. It's a wonderful line for how we should live our lives this year. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so John tells us, it's not me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. John 1. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. He must increase, I must decrease. So John gives us a proper perspective of Christ. In chapter 4, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, we have Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman. Very, very famous scripture, beautiful scripture. He talks to the Samaritan woman, and she doesn't get it till the end. Jesus says in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, she didn't know what that meant. They were by the well. Jesus speaks to her. Usually men, noontime, do not speak to women at a well. But Jesus did. Everyone who drinks this water, verse 13, will be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will never thirst. Of course, it's supernatural. The water I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Give me this water, she says in verse 15. And then he speaks to her about her life. And she has this extraordinary experience with Christ. The disciples come back and join them. And why were you talking with her, they say. Remember I said, you're not supposed to be talking to women. She, she says, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did, verse 29. And the people want to now see this person. They want to meet this person. I love verse 34. He says to the disciples, my food, because they, they needed to eat, and Jesus was talking again spiritually, not physically, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus has this incredible relationship with the women, this woman. Then he has a relationship and some time with the disciples to explain it. Then the people and the townspeople are now going to respond. And at the same time, we're going to see a transformation of this woman right before our eyes and how she receives the gospel. We'll pick up on the rest of chapter 4 next week when we look at Third Epiphany. Meanwhile, enjoy your scripture reading and your week this week. We'll see you next week for the Daily Office Lectionary. God bless you.